I want to continue on with our series, Alive to Thrive, Pulling Out of Survival Mode. Excuse me. Yes, Pulling Out of Survival Mode. And, you know, when I was a kid, I just loved riding my bike. See, I, for Christmas, I got like the coolest bike. It's what they call a stingray. Do they still make stingrays? It, it, it's had, it had a sissy bar that stuck up higher than my head in the very back. It had a banana seat, so it was like this long, okay? You guys have never seen one of those, huh? It had a water bottle, which back then was like the ultimate super cool thing to have on a bicycle. And I think it even had a little pouch attached somewhere where I could even bring my own lunch and go on like the longest bike hike ever, right? So I just thought that this is so amazing. But the kids in our neighborhood, we loved to race our bikes as well. Now, I lived on Plymouth Road. I was five houses from the end. And right about where my house is, is where the hill would, would level out, okay? So you would go up the hill several houses and then make sure there's no cars coming. And you would just, you would race your, your buddy and there would be someone at the very end to see who would win. And you would just pedal as fast as you could. Now, you would come to this point where you would pedal so fast you just, you couldn't keep up with the pedaling, so you coasted, all right? And, and if you slowed down at all, man, you just kicked it into high gear again, a little bit more energy, and hopefully you would win. Unfortunately, many people, many Christians in our day treat life this way. Even non-Christians, they treat life this way. When life gets hard and we get wearied, we shift into neutral. We coast. And we truly believe that we're moving forward downhill fast. And I'm just going to tell you, church, this is a deception. Whenever we begin to coast, whenever we begin to shift into neutral, we need to realize since life is uphill for the most part, there's rarely too many downhills. There is generally at least a struggle in our life. And see, church, that is purposeful. In this fallen world where faith needs to grow, if we lived in a perfect world, faith would not need to grow. But because faith needs to grow, there's always something that we're battling, that we're struggling with, that requires faith, an exercise of ardent faith. That's just the nature of life. So I'm going to say it this way. Life generally is uphill. And if you think you're going to coast uphill by putting, by stop pedaling, by putting your car, if you will, into neutral, you may go forward for a little bit, but only a little bit. The rest of the way is backwards, downhill. The deception is that life in neutral actually coasts forward when in actuality it eventually will always move backward. See, this is what happens when we shift into neutral or when we stay in survival mode. We begin to drift backward. This is exactly what happened to the Israelites. When life got weary for them, when they encountered obstacles and they got wearied, they just said, as long as the enemy isn't taking more ground, we're okay. But see, that's just not true. Because eventually, those enemies began to conquer them. Next week, I want us to look at how when we choose not to fight, and we shift into survival mode and hunker down, eventually God will bring the fight to us. How do we 
then get out of survival mode and move forward. Stop coasting. I mean, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than, hey, start pedaling, start pedaling really fast. There's a little bit more to it than that. Last week, as, as far as using that as an analogy and bringing it into some application, last week we looked at three ways to do this. Number one, leaders set the pace and must live in thriving mode. And please don't misunderstand. Thriving mode is not necessarily characterized by blessing, like financial blessing, business blessing, uh, wonderful relationships in the home and with your neighbors. Thriving mode doesn't mean that you're, you're getting promotions. Thriving mode is simply characterized by obedience, serving the Lord. God will bring the blessing because that's just what God does in his timing. See, our problem is we want the blessing. We don't want the fight. We're wearied by the fight. Come on, where's the blessing, God? It's just that there's always going to be a fight. There's always going to be an exercise of faith as a result of the fight. And it's purposeful. Now, leaders... Moms and dads, business owners, if you're mentoring somebody, if you're in any way seeking to help someone grow in the faith or even exemplify Christianity so that they see the genuineness of your faith, even that person needs to be living in thriving mode because people need to see the authenticity of the gospel. They need that. You and I, we need that. And when we see it, does that not encourage you? Does that stir that, doesn't it stir something up in your heart as you see mom and dad in hard times pressing into Jesus? When you see a man or a woman of God that you admire and you hear their story and it's like, oh my goodness, what are they going to do? And you watch them and it's hard for them and they press into Jesus. And God begins to craft and shape this testimony that God comes through in. Maybe not how you think God should have, but what you do see is this obedient lifestyle. This lifestyle of ardent faith that fights and does not compromise, does not grow wearied. And if it does, it seeks strength from God. In David's darkest hour... When he had lost everything and his men were ready to stone him, Scripture says, and David found strength in God. Second thing that we can do, testimonies. Testimonies from others of God's grace meeting them while they are passionately pursuing Christ in thriving mode. That's imperative, church. And so what we did was we actually, I shared some testimonies with you. And... This past Tuesday night, we shared even more testimonies. As a matter of fact, I think we had to cut our worship in half because there were just so many testimonies of what God was doing. Man, I felt so charged up and so encouraged. Didn't you feel encouraged, church? Those of you who were there, it felt encouraged? Man, it was awesome. I'm going to actually share one of those at the very end of the message today. But the third thing is that we are to reward or bless others who choose to live in thriving mode. And I don't mean that, you know, hey, you're living for Jesus. Let me give you some money here. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I am talking about us encouraging and blessing them. And because they're per- pressing into Jesus, saying something that will build them up. 
These are so important. Today, tonight, I want us to look at two more. How do we, two more ways in which we can pull out of survival mode. So we're in the book of Judges. So go there to, to Judges chapter 1. We're still going to be hanging out in Judges for a little bit. But Judges chapter 1. I want to read from verses 1 through 10. I've chosen to skip around a bit. I am not going through this systematically, these first three chapters of Judges. I'm kind of moving around, but in a way I believe that is going to be beneficial for us as we're walking through this concept of thriving, the thriving life, and how do we pull out of survival mode. Are you there with me now? Judges chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. Now remember, this is after Joshua died. So apparently, all through Joshua's life, they moved into their land, but they were not fighting to take the land. Not seriously anyway. Judah's to go. I've given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adoni Bezek, which means Lord of Bezek, and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adoni Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Now there's an explanation, follow me. Then Adoni Bezek said, uh, this is his own personal confession. He is thumbless and big toeless while he is saying this. Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. After that, the men of Judah went down to to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev, and the western foothills. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba, and defeated Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. You know, before we go into any further, I want us to pray. Can I do that, Father? I just want to thank you that you are here right now in your spirit, and you are teaching us, I believe. And I just ask that as we, as we search your scriptures that we would find life. We would find principles of living that bring life. And right now, even tonight, would breathe that life into us. Would you encourage our hearts tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing that I want us to say, I, I want to say, is in order for us to get out of survival mode, this would be point number four, followed by point number three last week, is that we need to link arms with one another. We need to join arms in order to engage in this battle. 
Jabez, in his prayer, asked God to enlarge his territory, but he didn't do that by himself. He didn't just go into his backyard with his sword and start slaying all of the Canaanites and whoever else was on his land. I'm sure there were acres and acres. Instead, he, he, he probably got the assistance of his brothers. He got the assistance of others. He didn't do it by himself. And we see here that the Judites, Judahites, Judites, anyway, they asked them, the Judeans, Judeans, they asked the Simeonites, come join us in our battle. Now let's understand something, church. When you join in a fight, there is always the chance that you will die. I want you to think about that. So when those from Judah, see how I worded that differently, Those from Judah asked the Simeonites to fight them. The Simeonites basically said, we are willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now understand that's reciprocated because we see here in in verse 17, then the men of Judah went with the Simeonites, their brothers, and they did fight it. We'll get to that later. They linked arms. There is no such thing as a successful Lone Ranger Christian. You can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. That is why God made us a family. We assist, we help, we love, we sacrifice, and even if necessary, die for one another. And that's what the Simeonites and the Judites, the people from Judah, were doing. Simeon helped Judah. Judah helped Simeon. They fought for one another. So here's my question. How might other Christians help us get out of survival mode? The first thing I want to suggest to you is that they help us gain victory over sin. Listen to James 5.16. Going through James, we looked at this two weeks ago. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confession expresses humility, and God honors that with his grace. In James chapter 4, we found that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we confess our sins, that's an expression of humility. We're not putting up a facade. We're not wanting others to see us better than what we really are. And and anything like that, by the way, and this is especially hard, I think, for guys. We don't like to show our weaknesses. And this, then, in James 5, is hard for us guys. It shouldn't be, but it is. Confess your sins to one another. Lay your souls bare so that you can pray for one another. Because it is that heart that says, guys, here's my struggle. I can't. I have tried so hard, I can't. And we confess our sin, and then we pray for one another. And then it concludes, the prayer of a righteous man is very powerful. Very powerful. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, it says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered, excuse me, come together in my name, there I am with them in their midst. 
That is the nature of what Jesus does. He said he will be in their midst. Jesus, right there. Jesus is right here with us. Now, don't ask me how to completely understand that. Because it is obviously clear that the Holy Spirit resides in every single believer. Every believer. And yet Jesus says, oh yes, by the way, when two or more are together, I'm right there in their midst. Now, I'm not going to say that if you're by yourself, he's not. There's just something that Jesus is trying to communicate about when people get together and they pray according, you know, in Jesus' name, therefore representing him well. That's what it means in Jesus' name. The Father acts. Jesus is right there with them in a different way, and I cannot describe what that difference is. The scriptures don't, doesn't say, but he is here in a different way than he is just here living in my heart, in my life, okay? He's right there. You know, something that Meredith and I recognize is that we try to pray in the morning, but especially when I'm heading out to work, it's earlier than, my, than normal, and I just say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm already, can we just pray? And so she's usually at the computer. She's very busy. And so she, okay, okay, yeah, so let's pray. And so we are trying hard, even in the busy times, to pray together. This past Thursday, you know, because the business has been struggling. It's just not been doing well. The dealership that I have, they're remodeling and things are just, everything is moving around. Now they've got cars and everything moving around because they're repaving the lot and, and resealing it rather. And so it's, it's like in mayhem. I, th- I think they're pretty much done the building. They're just waiting for the last touches and then they're going to move over. Well, it, 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 that type of construction just is never welcoming for sales. And so it's, it's tip. Great dealership. I love the people who work there, but they're just struggling. And so when I go, if they don't do well, guess what? I don't do well either. So we prayed. Meredith just said, God, please, abundant blessing. I walked onto the lot, and I did more in those two days than I think I have ever done by myself in two days, ever. And there was still more work that I couldn't get to. So I've kicked it over to next week. And I'm just saying, there's just something about this dynamic when husband and wife pray together, when you ask a friend and invite them into your problem, into your sin issue, into your struggle, into your survival mode, and say, I need help. Can you pray? Can you agree with me? God just does something. And I'm trying, and it doesn't exactly say, you know, this is why I'm going to do it. This is why things are going to be different. I'm suggesting, I think it has to do with humility. I think it has to do with an exercise of faith. I think it has to do even just humbling yourself before one another. There's just something about that dynamic, church. God answers prayer in unusual fashions when people join us. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are called then to carry one another's burdens. Now the context, especially in verse 1, is if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, that is you who are mature, should help this person in meekness. Not thinking that, here we go again. Just got to help them out of their problem. No, 
do so in humility. In that way, we are to bear one another's burdens. So I want you to think, if you're struggling to consider inviting someone into your struggle, if you see someone struggling, ask them. I want you to know I'm here for you. If there's anything that I can do, if you want me to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you right now. Whatever you need. I don't know if you remember Bruno Silver or not, many, many years ago. Bruno was a part of our church. He lives out there in, um, where now? Mount Dora. He lives in Mount Dora now. And Bruno had just given his heart to Christ. I mean, mean, when he came to Christ, he snotted all over my carpet. There was a, it it was like right there. Don't step there, okay? And it was just right there. But when he was done and he got up and he said, why have I wasted my life for so long? Now, Bruno was an alcoholic at that point. And I knew it. I've been ministering to him about every other week, getting together. You know, we did lunch. He was gracious enough. He always paid for it. I love that part of it. But I would always preach to him. And he knew I was, it was, we'd spent about two hours, two and a half hours. And he knew it was coming. And Mike was going to graciously challenge him again to pursue Jesus. That went on for nine months. He eventually gave his heart to Christ. And I said this, Bruno, you need to get rid of your alcohol. You just, you just need to. It is not a good thing for you. After we're done here tonight, let's just go over to your place. Do you have any alcohol there? He said, oh, yeah. There's a bottle, and it is, mm, it is good, but, and it's expensive, but I just need to get rid of it. Then let's go over to your place, and we're going to dump it. You do not need that in your house, not in your condition, no, sir. And so I followed him over, and we dumped it. Uh, a guy was, another guy in the church was with me, and I said, Bruno, Here's the deal. Every time you get off work, it's about midnight. You need an accountability call when you get off. You need someone in the church that you can call that can call you at 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's not me. And, and it's only because my phone is on silent, and if I left it on, I, probably, I, I would hear it, but I would, hey, hello, wrong number, bye. You know, I wouldn't know what I'm saying. I'm, like, out of it. And so the guy that was with me said, Mike, I'll do that. I'm a late night person. I'll do it. And so for I don't know how many weeks Bruno called this guy because Bruno had a tendency to stop by a liquor store on his way home. And that never happened again. He, had, he invited somebody, a couple of guys, into his life that held him accountable. There were other addictions. God set him free. Invite someone into your struggle bear one another's burdens james 5:19 if one of you should wander from the truth does this sound familiar church yeah we studied it this past tuesday right and someone should bring him back remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins see we help one another in our times of weakness in our times of straying you know, even the world has an idea about this. Alcoholics Anonymous is not necessarily a Christian organization. There's plenty of non-Christians a part of that organization. They call God a higher power. Um, they are not specific to Jesus Christ. I imagine some chapters or some groups are. But the truth is, even they recognize, hey, when you're going through something, 
you need to call someone immediately to talk with them. There is something in the nature of man that in their moment of weakness, another person inviting them to come into their problem to help them, there's a dynamic to that. It, it's, it's helpful, and especially when there's a spiritual dynamic, and that's just a physical dynamic, that's just a physical voice, but a spiritual empowerment of the spirit because that is what we have church as brothers and sisters in christ we have the commonness of his spirit and as a result by that same spirit we can speak into a person's life words of spiritual encouragement it's just more than what the world can offer god steps into that moment don't think well you know i don't know what to say when jesus the night he was betrayed was talking and just sharing his last words with his disciples, he said, when, when your enemies take you into court, you don't need to think about ahead of time what you're going to say. While you're walking there, you don't have to think, oh, good goodness, if they ask this question, I'm going to answer it this way. And if they ask this question, I'm going to answer it this way. And this, you, know, I don't, you don't need to worry about that because when you are in there, I will give you the words. So here's my question. Do you truly believe? If you're invited into someone's pain, would not God honor that sacrifice on your part, that love, that act of love on your part, and speak through you. He will, church. He will. You, maybe you only know a few verses in Scripture. Maybe all you need to do is just open your Bible and read something from it. These are spiritual words. They have life in them that the Spirit of God uses to minister life to us. And so I'm going to encourage you. When someone is straying... Help step into their life. It says moving away, straying from the truth. At that time, guess what they need? They need love, yes. But above all of that, and this is what the world can't offer them, they need truth. They need truth from God's word. Maybe you can give them an ounce of truth in that very moment and then invite someone else into it that has a little bit more. Maybe they've got a pound of truth. Invite people into our pain. Help ask that God minister through you. I've shared this story with you before. Be, when I had met Meredith, it was about that time, that summer, as we were college students, she worked as, not a nurse, but as a, uh, someone before a nurse. Meredith, what, were you, what did you do before you were a nurse? What was that called? And, and so a nurse's assistant. Okay. Not difficult terminology. I could guess. Anyway, so here she was as a nurse's assistant. And she is speaking with another nurse. And this nurse claimed to be a Christian. But she was living with her boyfriend. And she was living in sin. And so Meredith just had such compassion for this young lady who was older than her. And here she is as a younger young lady trying to encourage this older woman. She just, she shared what she did. Now, now, Meredith wasn't a novice in the word. She actually was leading Bible studies at college. But she had known the Lord for a couple of years. And she just been, she was always, when we would get together, she would just always love to say, oh, guess guess what the Lord taught me, guess what the, and we would sit down and she would just share some of the insights that she had been gleaning, so she had a hunger for the word, and then when she was talking with this nurse, she just let that word come out, 
And she called this young lady to repentance. That here's all the struggles that you're having. And you know, you're, you're making a choice to cut God off from helping you because of the sin in your life. And she just called this lady to follow after Jesus. Fast forward, no lie, about 10 years. I'm getting my degree at Regent University, my Master of Divinity, and we are living in housing, and we are just like rolling in the bucks, man. Yeah, I'm, 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 no way, no. We're, we're struggling, and Meredith, they, the, the university has what they call the King's Pantry. I think that's what they called it, the King's Pantry. And every week you would go in there, and for $1, you would fill up your bag with groceries, one buck. You would get a bag of groceries, and Meredith is standing in line. She's about to get her groceries, and there's a lady behind her who says, I know you. Meredith looks around and looks so familiar. I'm that lady that you spoke with when you were an assistant nurse, and you challenged me to follow Jesus. I just want you to know, Meredith, every time I share my testimony about how God changed my life, you're always in it. Ten years, she never knew this, that the, that the girl, she just thought the girl just, uh, pff, who's this young lady? She doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't understand the real needs of us older ladies. We need a man in our life. Not like that you don't. So anyway, ten years later, she's there at Regent University as a student, bumps into her, standing right behind her in line, and there's, it's just this God moment. Meredith's life impacted her can i just tell you that if you choose not to link arms with someone else when you choose not to help a stray when you push the world out when you choose to just try and do it on your own let's just look over there real quickly verse 8 chapter 1 again it says the men of judah attacked jerusalem also and took it it says they put the city to the sword and set it on fire Now, let me just tell you, Jerusalem technically is not in the tribe of Judah. It's actually in the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, it's right on the border there, the Kishon Valley as it comes down. Excuse me, the Kishon Valley borders Judah from Benjamin. So it's technically in Benjamin, in Benjamin's tribe. Now, skip over to verse 21. It says this, the Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, to this day, the Jebusites lived there with the Benjamites. When David tried to conquer it, they said, even a blind man can do a better job than you, David. And they just totally insulted David until David said, hey, we're going to find a way, guys. And they, they ransacked Jerusalem and made Jerusalem their headquarters. But here they are, the Benjamites, the the people from Judah had already conquered them with the help of the Simeonites. Now the Benjamites, I I don't know what happened, so I'm going to guess. Maybe they just didn't pick up on the clue. Maybe they let Jerusalem sit there for several years while it regained. People came back, the the, the people from Jebus, it was called Jebus back then. The Jebusites came back and started getting stronger and stronger when the Benjamites said, you know what, it is time that we take Jerusalem. Sorry, too late. The way the people from Judah did it is they had the Simeonites help them. Benjamin tried to do it alone. 
And Benjamin is the smallest tribe of all of Israel. Ain't going to work. 400 years later, a man from Judah, King David, finally did take it. About time, right? That's because the, ben the, the Benjamites tried to do it by themselves. Church, when you try to do life on your own, see, Lone Ranger Christians never make it. They just don't. We need each other. I want to move on to my second point here. Turn with me to verse 22. The next couple of verses. It says, now the house of Joseph, which would be Manasseh and Ephraim, attacked Bethel and the, Lord's, and the Lord was with them when they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city. And they said to him, show us how to get into the city and we will see that you were treated well. So he showed them and they put the city to the sword but spared the man and his whole family. I want to I say that we need, if we have tried something, we need to find another way. If that first way just didn't work out. We need to find another way to overcome church. Don't just give up. You know, I, one of the greatest frustrations in my life is when I'm trying to fix a problem and I spend several hours on it, nothing happens. Or what's happened with my wife, several hours doing something and all of a sudden her, her computer just decides to do something funky and she loses everything. Like five to ten hours of work, what? Have you ever tried your hand at something and you just couldn't fix it? You tried something and it just felt like all of those hours went down the toilet. It's so frustrating. And, and here they are. I mean, lives were probably lost trying to take Bethel because it was a fortified city. That means it had a wall around the city. How are we going to get in? What are we going to do? Well, they had encountered cities with walls before. Jerusalem, by the way, was a walled city. Jericho was a walled city. And Israel took Jericho. I wonder if we just marched around it seven times. Maybe they tried that. I don't know. But the truth is they couldn't get in. So they developed a different strategy. And all they did was they asked somebody. That's it. You know what, church? Maybe the answer you're looking for is with someone else in this church. But you've tried your hands at it. Man, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've tried fixing my car on, on some issues, and it's like, it just won't fix. I fix this, I do this, and it's like, it just won't get done. I'm going to need to call a mechanic. And now it's like I wasted all of this time, all of this money, so I've come up with a new plan. Step one, call the mechanic. I'm just not good at fixing cars. I didn't grow up having a dad who was a, a grease monkey. And so consequently, he just there was nothing to pass on to me. So I've tried my hand at it. It just always takes me about five to ten times longer than the average person. And I mean, I like working with my hands. It's just that not having that knowledge, yeah. Anyway, find a different way. This was a fortified city. There were other obstacles than fortified cities. There were giants living in Hebron. If you read over in, in, in verse 19, excuse me, 
in, uh, here we go, verse 18, it says, The men of Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, each city with its territory. There were giants that lived in those cities. If we back up to, um, excuse me, what verse is it? Right here in verse 10 that I read, it says, They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron. Hebron, there were Anakites. We see three of those names mentioned there, and many of the Anakites, we're told, were giants. So there were giants in the land. In verse 19, it says, The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive out the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. We read later that some of the Canaanites were just determined to stand their ground, and they refused to quit. They refused to give up, they, and they just, they just wouldn't die. They were hard because they were determined. How do you conquer such a people who have iron chariots? They're, some of them are giants. Some of them fortified cities. Some of them just so stinking determined. How do you do it? Go with me, Joshua. Chapter 17. I'm going to read just three verses, 16 through 18. Joshua 17, 16 through 18, the people of Joseph replied. I'm not going to give you the whole context. You can read that another time if you don't mind. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have, hello, iron chariots. Man, those stinking iron chariots. Both those in Bethshan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will, not, you will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. You're not going to do it all at once, but you can drive them out. What do they mean clear the land? It says right up here in a previous verse, it says go up into the forests and clear land for yourselves there in the land. So what we do is if, if God is wanting us to grow, we find different areas to grow into, okay? We start excelling in other areas. And in this area of weakness, we will eventually grow in. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make, John Maxwell, who's a, a leadership guru, a former pastor, not because he fell away or anything. He's not a pastor now, simply because God moved him into a different ministry. But he says this. He says that... Most people, to grow as a leader, try to make their strengths, excuse me, try to, they focus on their weaknesses and try and make them into something they can't. He said, give 80% to, of your time to your strengths and only 20, maximum 20, to your weaknesses. And when you work on your weaknesses, try to simply make them so that they're not your backside. So that they don't undermine you. So they don't sink you. But focus on your strengths. So in essence, this is what Joshua is encouraging them to do. He says, so you're going to focus on your strengths. You're numerous. You're going to eventually take them. But in the meantime, look at all of this land that you can have access to. Clear it. A new strategy. 
the iron chariots, you're going to defeat them come time. But right now, you've got all of this land. Clear the land. Now, let me just tell you that eventually, Israel did face Canaanites with iron chariots in this very same location. Jabin, king of the Canaanites, he's living further north. He had iron chariots. His general was Sisera. Sisera, excuse me, Barak was told by Deborah, go with 10,000 men and fight against him and the Lord will be with you. I'm not going to get into the whole story. Barak goes and Jabin, had, and well, Sisera is fighting. He's the general and he's fighting against iron chariots. What are we going to do? All they had to do is just fight. Do what the Lord told them to do. And you know what God did? God caused it to rain so heavily, the ground turned into mud, and the chariot wheels got stuck in the mud. When a chariot doesn't move, man, you are a guinea pig. You are op- there. You're enclosed by this box, and they're going to be all over you. The very strength you once had when that chariot stops now becomes your undoing. And so Barak destroyed the chariots, the, the people in the chariots, all of Sisera's army. I'm remembering another time while people were crossing a Red Sea because God parted it, and they were crossing on dry ground. The psalm, one of the psalms says, and God made it rain. And all I can say is he definitely didn't make it rain on the Israelites because they crossed on dry land. So guess where that rain was? It was behind them, raining on the Egyptians, so hard, apparently, that their wheels came off. That's what the Bible says. Their wheels came off. That's how God destroyed the iron chariots. Some of you are facing iron chariots. In other words, you're just saying, this problem in my life, this struggle in my life, it's just too hard for me. And you know what? Maybe that's true right now at this moment. That may not be true tomorrow. God may give you a new strategy. And you know what? Strategies come. Sometimes just as we pray, God puts a thought in our mind. Oh, my goodness. I've not thought of that before. I should try that. Or it might come as you're just talking about it with someone else. So to do that, you got to be linking arms. And they say, you know what? I remember doing something. It was kind of like what you're saying. But here's what I did. Great idea. Can't tell you how many times I fixed my car that way. Just ask somebody, or you know, if it's a problem in the house, hey Cole, what would you do if, you know, and, and Cole so many times has a great answer. But we can God can speak through someone else a new strategy, a new plan. Or God can speak prophetically. And this is what God, t- God spoke through Deborah, who was a judge, but also a prophetess, and she said, Barak, this is what the Lord is telling you to do. New strategy. This is how you, in, in essence, this is how you're going to defeat the Canaanites who are so determined to live in the land, and they have iron chariots. Take 10,000 men. Only 10,000 men. And go fight them. That's all that God said. That's all the insight God gave. He did it, and God unfolded his strategy with rain. Okay? Judges... 110, we see that there are giants in the land, but the reason why they were able to overcome them is because the Simeonites were helping them. So 
church, God just may need to birth a new strategy into your life. He may just speak it to your heart. He might speak it through someone else. He might give you a prophetic word, however he does it. But there's only one way in which you are going to, generally one way in which you are going to get that new strategy. And it's not just thinking about the problem, though that's important. It is seeking God and saying, God, please. I can't tell you how many times a problem, problem, problem. You know, there's still problems that I'm facing, church, for, for years. That, you know, I'm just asking God to show me what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? And there's an answer coming. It's just he has not given it today. And so I try to live by that little bit of light that he gives me with some of these issues. Okay, God, so just show me what I do. Show me what to do, step by step. I remember as a church, we were struggling with this issue of reaching out. That's one of the things that I still have for the Lord. And it's been a challenge. We used to, as a church, we took about a year and a half when we were over the, um, the Brio Business Center. And we went door to door. For a year and a half, we knocked on doors. Uh, there were times in which, even before that year and a half, we passed out flyers. We passed out about 2,000 flyers. Not flyers, but cards. Had a, 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 just a picture on the front. Um, something about uh, Jesus and hope. Got hope or something like this. And, and that, oh, God, his question is, got hope? Because there's a picture of a destroyed apartment complex. You could just, the, the wall of it was just torn off, just totally destroyed. Got hope? And then a quote from Jesus, come unto me, all you who are weak and weary. And then on the back was just directions and time, whatever it was. So we passed out about 2,000 of those in three different surrounding neighborhoods. Then we went door to door. Then we went to parks. We were trying to evangelize. And we had one person that we know of, one person come to Christ. And so I said, you know what, church? We did that for a while. And, and there was so much good that happened as a result of it. But I just felt like God was wanting to do something different. So I said, here's what we need to do. Church, I want us personally now to look for opportunities in our workplace to find out the cashier's name and start praying for that cashier to i remember mickey lana was telling one time she would say you know when i went when i'm i think it was aldi's wherever you you were shopping you'd say i would i knew this cashier and i always even if her line was the longest i would still stand in that line and when i got to that line just allowing jesus to speak through me you've got like 30 seconds especially if they're a fast ringer ringer upper is that a word and you got like 30 seconds so what is she gonna say and so when you're going through a cash cash register i know walmart is like all and that's like the only place i shop at too walmart is everything is uh, automated um but if you can go through a cashier and i'm preaching to myself right now, if you can go through a cashier and you they have their name tag on right and you just say hey so and so uh, how's your day going and then little okay and how can you reach that person in like 30 seconds? Asking them a question like, how can I pray for you? Now, sometimes because they don't know you, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, thank you. Okay, but I tell you what, there's going to be that one person that is in a crisis time in their life and they will open up to you. Just because five people say, no, I'm fine, don't give up. You're going to come across that one cashier and they're going to say, 
I can't believe you just asked me that this morning. And they just lay it out for you. And, you, and you, you've, you're, you're, they're already done because 30 seconds is up. And you say, I want you to know Angela, whatever her name is. My name is Mike, or assuming that's your name. <laughs> you say, I'm going to be praying for you. And I want you to know this whole week I'm going to be praying for you. Now, in a week later, go back through and see if, you know, around the same day and time, and maybe you'll bump into them and say, so I've been praying for you. How has it been going? That's a really simple way to do it. Or you mention their name, and you just share a really quick testimony. you got 30 seconds, remember. So I'm going to share with you a 30-second testimony. And you know what? They're a captive audience. They are not going to shut you down. Not with a testimony. They, people just don't do that. So you guys know Sarah Jeffers. I've got 30 seconds. You guys know Sarah Jeffers, right? Her son has had a hernia. He's, been had, it, he's had it operated on twice so far. And just this past week, it started popping out again and giving him excruciating pain. And you could see it. It's below his belt line, and you can see it popping out. She said, Mommy, I'm having a lot of pain. And so Sarah just prayed over him. And, and he said, Mommy, it's starting to grow warm. Can you just pray for it again? And he said it grew hot. And when she had her hand on it, she said she could feel that bump go down, and it went away completely. And when they looked at it, church, it was completely gone completely gone it was it was starting to bulge through again and it retracted it was completely gone this has never happened he's had to have every time this has happened he's always had to have an operation so i'm taking more than 30 seconds nuts and so consequently i i, I just texted sarah you know how's micah doing and then i even saw micah today and totally fine no problems whatsoever what an amazing, and you just shared 30 seconds now, so Reader's Digest version of what I just shared, 30 seconds, and then boom, you just leave that and you want to say, I'm just going to be praying for you this week. And you leave it at that. And maybe you get to see that person again. Just, there are such simple ways. That seed that you planted has the potential to truly open up their heart. You know what I, I like to do, when, especially when it's around Christmas or Easter? If there is an opportunity, and I'm just in a conversation, I will, I will eventually try to get around this question, get around to this question. Because everybody is thinking, okay, Easter's coming up, or Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Especially Christmas, everybody's thinking about Christmas, whether they practice it or not. Most people in America do. And so I just ask them, so who do you think Jesus is? What a super simple question. Who do you think Jesus is? And here's what most people are going to say. I've discovered. Most people, not all people, most people. I think he's the son of God. Really? Okay, awesome. If he's the son of God, can I ask you, have you made a choice to live your life for him? And I just, I don't try to complicate it. I just ask him just some really simple questions. And I let them talk. And I try to allow them to step out and share. And I'll just ask them questions. And with my questions, I'm just I'm trying to point them back. And I say, you know what? When I was age 14, I discovered this son of God that you mentioned. And he totally changed my life. I went to church all my life. When I was 14, so that'd be 14 years. 
I darkened doors of churches all, all the time. My dad had, was a choir director everywhere we went. And when I was 14, I finally realized that I needed to surrender my life to the Son of God because he died on the cross for my sins. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Think about that. Merry Christmas. Such simple, just little questions that we can ask, sharing a little testimony. Sometimes I feel like you have to share all four spiritual laws or whatever gospel track that you have, and it takes 30 minutes to walk them through everything, and you know what? You can, you can take 60 seconds and plant a significant seed. And church, I'm going to encourage you to do that. As a church, we're, we're choosing at this time not to go door to door, and I'm just asking, I want to stir that up in us, church. I want us to have a culture that prays for the lost and has this undying passion to reach the lost. And I want God to stir that up in me more and more and more. You know, just in the last couple of weeks, I've been so impressed when my wife will share with me some things, some really bold things that she has said and done that she just normally wouldn't do, but she's doing it. And it's like, that was encouraging. Man, I can do that. Sim I can do that. Church, let's do it. Let's just do it. What we need to do, church, is to find another way, find another strategy, is we need to fast, we need to pray. That is how we experience breakthrough. It's not by complaining to God and ranting and just saying fist one of those fist-shaking things. Sometimes just emotionally we get undone. Okay, if you do that, you just go back to the Lord and say, God, I'm just so sorry. I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to the Lord. And then humbly ask him, God, please, I am weary. I need your help. This past Tuesday, I'm just going to conclude with this. This past Tuesday, I shared this with you. I didn't have it with me, but Ron, who is Sarah Hawk Hawthorne's friend in the Texas prison, but Ron and I have been communicating back and forth a lot. And, and so he's at the end of his, I, I've known him for, for just a short while. At the very end, he says, your son in Christ, um, Alex Jerron Howard. He goes by Ron. And so I say, hey, Ron. You know, and I, when he sent this to me, he, he, I said, Ron, that was so amazing that you took this initiative. Because he has started what's called PSI, which is Prayer Support Initiative. And he has prayer cards. And so those prayer cards, he passed out. He has down here the statistics I, that he placed 60 prayer cards. He received 43 back. He had uh, 56 people, and he lays out his schedule, and he put in 13.43 hours last week, okay? And he's just keeping track to hold himself accountable, okay? Because this is his ministry, that, and he just looks for opportunities to pray for people. So he prayed for 56 people the other week. And 17 of those or in addition, I'm not sure which, he interceded for them. And that means it was a very special prayer, not just a little prayer need, but deep praying for them. And he said the result of this is that two people rededicated their lives to Christ. He says here, John Warner, he even gives the guy's uh, number, and Jim uh, Atkins Jr. asked me to help them um, profess rededication of their lives to Christ. And he gives a few scriptures. And then he says, Corey Hutchinson asked me to help him profess his newfound faith in Christ so he could 
uh, receive salvation. And so he's just taken this initiative and he said, you know what? This is, while I'm here and life is so hard. Sarah was telling me, life is just so hard there. It is so, oh, the people there, the, it's low staffed. The budget is low. People don't get enough food. They don't even have enough beds. So they rotate people in and out of, of um, what is it when you're by yourself? Solitary confinement. And so they put Ron in solitary confinement. Not because he did anything wrong, but because they just didn't have enough beds. So he's on a rotation to be in solitary confinement for I don't know how many weeks. And so, wow, what can he do? And he just started this ministry, church. And so I want us to pray for Ron. I'm going to conclude right now. I'm going to pray for Ron. But I want to pray for each of us that God give us great boldness, that we link arms with others to help us and to help them. And that we pray, God, give me a new strategy. Show me a different way because I do not want to continue this way. There's iron chariots on my land and I don't know how to deal with them. And all I can say is, what else can you give yourself to to grow in Christ, but continue to grow in strength so that one day you will be strong enough, that's what Joshua told them, and you will be able to kick some Canaanite butt. Because God is going to give you the power by his spirit to do it, great enough faith that he's going to grow in you, that you can do this. Are there giants in your land? God will give you the strength. Don't give up. Pray with me right now. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would help us, that you would give us strength right now, Lord. Some of us, were stuck in survival mode. We hate it, God. But I just ask God, stir us up. Help us to link arm with, uh, arms with others. Show us new strategies, Lord God, new ways of doing things, God. Show us how to evangelize more effectively, Lord. In America, Father, there's just so many people who don't want to hear about your son, Jesus. Show us how to reach them, God. The devil wants to blind their eyes and dull their hearts. Show us how to address that, God. I'm asking you, Lord, that this next week, even in fact, this coming Tuesday night, when we get together, that some of us are going to share testimonies about what you already did in this, in this area. New ways, new, just a, a simple way they chose to reach out. And I just ask you, Father, work in us. Use Ron, Lord pray you'd be able to get out of solitary confinement soon this week and that lord you would continue to use him in his prayer initiative i just ask you lord show him creatively show him father give him divine appointments and may he continue to be bold in sharing his faith with others rescue the lost thank you for how many have already come to christ and sarah says they're just growing so much bless them lord god use us god use us in Jesus' name I pray.